0: There are times for me, when certain truths seem so high, so ancient, so overflowing with love that it's almost hard for me to imagine them coming out of human lips. Because there are times we can receive something in our spirit, and it, it feels so precious so miraculous, and so holy, and so beyond this world. It's like, well, how, how can such love come out of human lips that we try to share it with one another? And that's the way I feel about tonight. And so if you know me, then you know that I've just been praying Holy Spirit um pretty please let it be your words that can convey it to them, because I know I can't. There are some things in Scripture that carry a mystery. They carry an intrigue. And they go from before the foundations of the earth to the eternity of eternities. And we're talking about one of those things tonight. And so I pray, I pray first that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be perfectly guided by him and that he will sit upon the words and that the Holy Spirit himself will teach you and reveal to you. Because this is a mighty, mighty, unspeakable truth to me. When I was a little girl, some of you know this, my grandfather retired from the railroad, and he was a lay pastor, and I don't ever remember having a normal conversation with my grandfather. He did with all the other grandkids, but every time I was with my grandfather, he quoted scripture, and it always started this way, Susan, what is truth, and I knew my lines, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he would say, that's right. If it doesn't sound like Jesus and look like Jesus, it's never truth. He said that to me every time I saw him from the time I was a toddler until I was 20 when he passed away. And every time he would say to me, Susan, you must, you must. You must love and honor Israel and her people. They are our roots. And without them, there would have been no womb to birth Jesus. You must always honor them as the Father does. For they are the Father's bride. And then he would say this most unusual thing to me. He said, it is critical that you understand Melchizedek. He said, I cannot teach it to you because it is something that must be revealed to your own spirit in the own time that the Father knows you are ready. But he would say those things to me every time we were together. And in between, he would quote scripture, and he never really explained scripture. He just quoted it and just left it hanging in the atmosphere, which was beautiful. Because he was giving me a love for the word, but he wasn't telling me what I had to think. He left it to the Holy Spirit to teach me. Well... We're doing something that now in the 17 years, I think of John 17, we've never done. We're talking about Melchizedek tonight. But I pray that it enlarges your spirit to see the bread and the wine in a different way than you ever have. And understand how important it is to the Father... That before the foundations of the earth, he began a priesthood. The story is found in Genesis 14, but a little backdrop Abraham worshiped idols, Abraham came to God. Abraham had no children, so when he was given land by God, he wanted to divide it, he wanted to share it, so he gave his nephew a choice, would you like this part of land or this part of land? Lot chose the best land, Abram blessed him, and then one day Abram got the word that there had been a battle in that land and many kings and that Lot and his family had been taken captive. and somehow it's easy for me maybe i have a holy imagination if you know what i mean but it's easy for me to see abram standing out under the stars and and going well i'm not really close to lot he's never really treated me well but he's family father we got to go rescue family we are told that the kings had well-trained soldiers and the best military, and Abram goes, and I love this line, he and his servants went out to war. A sideline for another message, in the kingdom, it's servants who win the battle, not soldiers. different teaching. Servants who are humble and just follow the master. He rescues Lot, wins the battle. The battlefield is clearing. The defeated king is coming. And then the most intriguing thing happens. Out of the desert comes a man. Never seen before. And a man coming, dressed in the regalia of a king and of a priest. And the man comes, a man Abram had never met. And his name was Melchizedek. He was from Jerusalem. Hebrews 7 says his name means king of righteousness, and he was from the kingdom of peace. He comes to Abraham, and for the first time in the history of mankind, a man comes with bread and wine. So all this battle has gone on, and this man comes, and all he has is bread and wine. Never had anyone in the human race brought bread and wine before this. And then he speaks, blessed, 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 like a proclamation from heaven. Blessed, blessed is Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered all your enemies into your hand. They share the bread and the wine. And he's blessed by God Most High. And he's proclaimed, I know who you are, Abraham. I know whose you are. You are Abram of the God Most High, who owns all of heaven and earth. And I know who got you that victory. And I bless God for it. And right as Melchizedek is ending the blessed The king comes up that's defeated and said, hey, I want my people back. I'll give you all the wealth in the world if you'll just give me my people. And so Abram has two kings. A king who comes with nothing but bread and wine and a blessing. And a king who comes and says, you can have all the wealth. And Abram says to him, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take even a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. lest you say you made Abram rich. I will take nothing from you. Hebrews chapter 7 picks up on the story and says this. For this Melchizedek, this king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. And to him, Abraham gave a tenth, or a tithe, of everything. Melchizedek is first, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. And he's the king of Salem, that means a peace. He is without a father and without a mother. He has no genealogy. He has no beginning of days, no end of life, resembling the Son of God. He continues to be a priest forever. It is written that David was a man after the heart of God. And in Psalm 22, he literally describes every movement at the crucifixion. And in Psalm 110, verse 4, he says, The Lord is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we have this priest, this king. No one knows anything about him, Hebrew says. They don't know where he came from. They don't know his mother. They don't know his father. They don't know his genealogy. But he has a superior priesthood. And any student of the Old Testament will tell you the priesthood that came afterwards through Aaron was a lesser priesthood. Because it was just based on Ancestry. Some say Christ appeared in the Old Testament to Abram. Some say, no, he was this, he was that. The truth is we don't know. But we know that in heaven's eyes, it was a divinely appointed moment to introduce the bread and the wine and the blessing. To Abram, who Paul tells us is the father of our faith. So there is this unbroken line from Abram to Melchizedek. Hebrew says, to Jesus, who is after the order of Melchizedek. So imagine for a moment, if you will... The disciples were good Jews. They knew the story of Melchizedek. They knew he brought the bread and the wine. He was the only priest in the Old Testament that gave something to the people from himself. All the other priests, Aaron and all the priests, they received from the people and then they gave it back to the people. Melchizedek was the only one who freely gave. And any good Jewish person knew, another Melchizedek is coming. Another Melchizedek is coming. Surely he'll be the Messiah, the Savior. And we'll know him by the bread and by the cup. So Jesus stands in the upper room. And it is true, as has been taught in the church for generations, it is true, it is true, it is true. It was the Passover meal. It is true Jesus was the Passover lamb. It is true up to that point, they followed every jot and tittle of Passover. But then Jesus changed the meal, which sometimes we miss. He changed the Passover meal he stands and he does what no one has done since Melchizedek he takes the bread and says now let me explain the bread Melchizedek lifted up prophetically it is my body and it will be broken and the cup that Melchizedek brought you that was my blood and this is the new covenant. And to the disciples in the room, they would have been. It's Melchizedek. No one, since the time of Abram, has given us bread and wine. No one. This is from the eternal I am. And Jesus was me? Do you see me now? I am from before the foundations of the earth and I am a priest after Melchizedek and I am bringing in the lineage of the Jew into this room And I am establishing it forever. For as Hebrews 7.17 says he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Forever. And forever means even in heaven and even at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And Jesus said, John chapter 6 truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you don't have life in you you don't have that god so a life in you but whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life And I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Abides in me. And I in him. And as the living father sent me. And as I live. Because of the father. So whoever feeds on me. Will live because of me. It is written, First John one seven. Sin is washed away by the blood. First 1 Peter one18 through twenty, we are delivered from the empty ways of our ancestors by the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24, we are healed by the blood from the wounds. Hebrews tells us because of the blood, we can enter the holy place and talk face to face with God. Hebrews 9.14 says your guilty conscience is supernaturally removed by the blood of Christ. Acts 20:28 20, says that Jesus owns the church, the real church. He owns the church because he purchased it by blood. Acts 13 says, "You are set free from everything by the blood Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he has supremacy. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus said, do you understand? When you eat my flesh, this bread, and when you drink this blood, The same realm of life that the Father had in me, I will put in you. Do you think Jesus struggled with shame and guilt? No, darling. Sickness? I don't think so. Before the foundations of the earth, the bread and the cup were lifted up by Melchizedek as a symbol prophetically of hope of the Messiah to come. And that out of that bread and wine would always come a connection to a blessing from the Most High God. And Jesus said, when you do this in remembrance of me, you remember the new covenant that I have healed you in your body, your soul, and your spirit. I can heal your relationship. I can heal your past, present, and future. I can cleanse your mind. I can take your guilty conscience. I, at this table, this is your touch point of faith that there's nothing you have to do. As Paul said to the beautiful people of Galatians, I can almost hear Paul just sighing, like, oh, come on, guys, really? You you began salvation with grace. How did you get into thinking now you've got to do this to get this? And and you got to do this to do. This? He said, How have you wandered from the gospel? Some of you know that um, we have missionaries in Syria and Iraq and other places in the Middle East. And this is a familiar story to some of you, but Jesus kept saying, you've got to tell it again tonight. There were two new young believers who had converted from Islam to follow Jesus, and they heard Jesus say, go stand here. And so they went and they stood And when he said, stop, they were in front of a mosque in Fallujah. A man was coming out, and they were nervous. They were new believers, and they just said to him, Jesus loves you. And he collapsed in the spirit. And in the dirt, he had a vision of Jesus. When he came to and got up, they found out he was the head cleric of the mosque, he went back in and apologized to all the men in the mosque for telling them lies that now he knew Jesus was the true God and the true Savior. Seventy men walked out of that mosque with him. Three days later, he was martyred. His wife was a new believer, too, only three days old. But she wanted to honor her husband, so she said quietly to people, if my husband's life in these three days have touched your heart, come and we will remember him. She was stunned. Over 1,200 people showed up at her house. Because in three days, the word spread, the word spread, the word spread. And the way it spread was, every time they said to each other, Jesus loves you, the Holy Spirit would overpower them. And they'd have a vision of Jesus. So the people are there, and she's been thinking, what do I do? And she tells the crowd, the only thing I know is those young believers told me that everything Jesus purchased for us, we remember when we eat the bread and we drink the cup. So they took communion together, and everyone that was sick was healed. That's been over three years ago. She and a group of friends have traveled nonstop through Syria and Iraq. And every place they go, they stop, have communion. And to this day, to the glory of God, every person gets physically healed and demonically delivered when they take communion. Now, forgive me, I don't know a politically sweet, correct way to say this. So... Do you think they're honoring a different Christ? Do you think there's something special in their bread or their cup? You know what I mean, dear ones? This is holy ground. When we come here, it's not like just... mm -hmm. This is his presence is here. This is the place... dear ones. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a man he didn't know coming through the desert and his name was Melchizedek a priest John the Baptist lifted up his eyes and he saw a man coming through the desert to be baptized and it was the priest And in Song of Songs, the bridegroom lifts up his eyes and he sees someone coming through the desert and he says, that's my bride. And it is written, for Jesus has purchased us to be kings and priests. And you, in the spirit, are after the order of Melchizedek, after the order of Jesus, and you, You carry the potential of the life in this bread and cup for your life and for the lives of others. And you carry the blessing of the Lord with no measure. You see, from the very beginning, he just wanted to be one with us and when he said be in my image he left nothing unprovided for the invitation is there so tonight we're going to share communion in a very special way. But before we do, I want to give you a moment. Remember. 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 This was in the Father's heart before Genesis 1 as a way. And Jesus said, My very life will go into you when you eat and drink this. He wasn't being metaphorical. So before we take communion, prepare your hearts.